Well, we have enough. We have a quorum. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word and we're grateful for its constant presence in our lives to change us, to bring peace to our lives. In your son's name, amen. We're in Proverbs 6. I have never preached a sermon in Proverbs 6. I have done Bible studies in Proverbs. I like Proverbs. I'm a fan of Solomon. He had a way with ladies. But philosophy of Ecclesiastes or the basic instructions of Proverbs or just the poetry and romance of the Song of Solomon, um, a remarkable contribution to the Word of God. But if you haven't been through Proverbs, Proverbs in the most general sense has essentially three sections. There are uh, a, a general first nine chapters admonition about wisdom and folly. There are some Proverbs thrown in there, but wisdom and folly. Uh, generally represented as, a, as two women. Wisdom is this woman who calls out for people to listen to her. And then there's the uh, bad girl, the adventuress, who is destroying lives. So two women uh, representing wisdom and folly. The rest of the book is largely Proverbs of Solomon. Chapter 10 starts out, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. And, and they seem to be, it tells us that Solomon arranged them with great care. And you're going, scratching your head, going, why is this one next to that one? Um, but that's most of the book. And then at the end, there are Proverbs um, sort of loosely connected by various other wise kings or wise individuals. Uh, that's where you get uh, the Proverbs 31 woman. That's not Solomon. That's the mother of Lamech, king of Massa, or something like that. So there's a, a few, uh, you might say, wise uh, understandings at the end. But chapter 6 is, is in that first section. And since it is one of those chapters in those first nine that seems to have wandered off the reservation and started talking in individual proverbial ways, I could see why I didn't ever preach a sermon on it. You see these sections that I've gotten here broken up, one through five is about essentially co-signing on a note and Next is on laziness, and then there's one on, you know, obsequious people. So you're tempted to think, well, these, these don't thread together. And they might, they might not. You can judge for yourself as to whether or not certain things are happening. But whether or not Solomon was threading them together, uh, I want to bring up some things about it that would free you up from just not co-signing on a note. Okay? You don't want to have a bunch of epigrams on your refrigerator, wise sayings of Solomon, don't co-sign a note, and try to live your life that way, where you have wisdom laws 
affecting you as much as moral law. So you have the Ten Commandments on, if you have a double door fridge, you could have the Ten Commandments on one door and the wisdom of Solomon on the other. But people treat the wisdom rules as sort of insistent guides. But I want you to think in a different way here. Let's read this first section. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the utterance of your lips, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into your neighbor's power. Go, hasten, and importune your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Basically, run away. Run away fast. Go ask, can I run away? Go ask the guy that you co-signed the note for, you, you went in there and said, oh, you're having trouble getting a loan from the bank? Let me go in there with you. And, and my father was sharing with me a situation where he did that years ago. And it was a problem. Guy, the guy has disappeared completely. It's like signing on somebody's student loans, you know. They go off to grad school and and $150,000 later, and you co-signed on it because they were in your church, and all of a sudden, you're in trouble. They're gone, you owe $150,000. Now, that advice goes, yeah, okay, I can be as wise as Solomon. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a good, good piece, good safety tip. Don't step into that. But what's going on here? What is actually going on? When he says in verse 3, for you have come into your neighbor's power. It's not about giving him the money. Say you have $150,000. You go, oh, sure, here. Because then the Lord just tells you, don't expect it back. You're not under any kind of, you're not control. In this situation, it seems that Reserving certain elements of your own will is important. And that saving yourself from that kind of leash on you. You've come into your neighbor's power and you should give yourself no sleep till you get out from under it. We don't think slavery is good, right? We don't think that being owned by someone else, somebody else being in charge of you, and usually when you hit around 16 in your own family, you think that your parents shouldn't have that much charge over you. They think they still should. Uh, it becomes a tussle because this basic ethic, when you realize somebody's got to make the decisions for you, and God seems to think that there is a undue control over your will when you get into this situation. I'm less concerned about whether your signature is on a note for somebody else. Less concerned, I mean, it, this is what happens, but it seems that there is a greater concern that you've come into your neighbor's power. It's no longer you who decide what's going to happen in your life. You can't move away. You've got to continually report in. You have to give them knowledge of where you and your bank account are because you and your bank account are obliged 
So can you put, you know, sort of add that into your mind. Put that into your mind of saying, I, it is important to God and the wisdom of Solomon that I maintain a right degree of control over my life and future. So that giving it away like this is something I should escape out of as much as possible. The second passage, go to the ant. No warning, just a shift. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her food in summer and gathers her sustenance in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a vagabond and want like an armed man. That's a great passage. My father used to stand above our beds and recite verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I think he was being sarcastic. (laughs) He was uh, that way with the scripture. I consider it, you know, impious to do that, but he felt free. And once again, like with the don't co-sign a note, we can walk into an idle man's life and go, here what the problem is, is you're lazy. You got New Testament passages, there's, there's a problem of people who are lazy. <coughs> it, I don't think I need to remind you, but I always want to say, it is far better to change who you are rather than leave you who you are and trying to keep all the rules. Keeping all the rules, Jesus Christ came to set us free from the law so that we would be like him. And the same is true here. It is far better for you not to take on, oh, no no co-signing, no lying about. You could keep that rule. You could remind yourself as you lay in your bed on a Saturday morning, and just want to sleep into about 11. That you probably shouldn't. Little Like a door turns on its hinges. But what's going on here? The first one is. You've stepped into somebody else's power. The second is. It seems to be important. That now that you've reserved your control of your life to you. That you. Pick up the control. If you reserve the power of your life to you, it's important that you get out of bed and do something. He says, how long are you going to... What does he point to in the ant? They do this without a ruler. Officer, chief. I think some people like having their life compelled by a ruler because if it ever comes down to them being compared to the ant, they need a ruler. An ant does it. It just sort of marches around and picks things up and carries them around. How long will you lie there? Who are you 
failing to become because you don't think a certain way. You don't understand this wisdom. You don't agree with this wisdom. You know it's the rules. You know that mom says get out of bed. You know, you know that, that the uh, early bird, what's the phrase? Gets the worm. Penny saved is a penny earned. I don't know what you want to say. A bunch of epigrams that in the industrious citizen, the good Puritan work ethic. You know that. But what's really coming down in our lives here is you've been handed and you should take control of your life and that will that you have been, has been reposed, been kept to yourself and you didn't let yourself get caught up in somebody else's, now it is on you. If you have been set free from somebody else's will to the degree that you've been given freedom in the United States of America, you're not indentured servants, you're not slaves, you're not, you know, lifetime domestics of some great house, though we have openings. You've been given freedom. Now, how long? Without leadership, guess who's in charge? You. And if you don't, poverty will come upon you like an armed man. That's what's going to happen. Oh, then it introduces another subject. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, scrapes with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. That's not good, is it? No, that's not good. It's almost a, an ad. They're running an ad on Craigslist for a movie they're casting for, and they want to get the, the lousy sub-villain who's this obsequious little twit that you need to cast for it. So you want someone, crooked speech, winks with his eyes, scrapes with his feet, points with his finger. You've got that worked out. What this guy looks like, you could picture him. That kind of person. Oh, he's not in his neighbor's power, and he's industrious. Compliment the man, for heaven's sake. He's out there doing stuff. So in discord, what else? Pointing speaking crooked things. Now I'm not claiming to you, that, again, that these proverbs in chapter 6 are all tied together this way. They might all be individual paragraphs that Solomon said, I've got to put them somewhere. Six! But each one, as I look at the idea that it rests on, being in someone else's power, your life with a leash on it, taken responsibility of getting up and using the power in your life without the leadership of someone else demanding it. And then it's a, an example of someone who does, but does all the wrong things. Just because you are building yourself, taking responsibility, doesn't mean that you're not a pervert, that you're not crooked. You not only have to have your own will, 
You not only have to get up in the morning and use your will, you've got to be right. Oh man, this is becoming homework. This is awful. Couldn't I just be under somebody else's control? Couldn't somebody just take responsibility for me? And I will just insist on my own way whenever I want to go do something. Have five bucks. Could I just live at home and get, take five bucks from mom and dad whenever I feel I need five bucks because I only need this little bit of freedom and I, I'm already 32 and I'm... We kind of like that. We like that kept status. But the scriptures has a belief that the best humane agent is walking through the earth with a set of conclusions, the most primary of them being that it is good that he have command of his life. It is good that he have the willpower to be commanding stuff to happen. And that that stuff is not worthless, wicked, crooked, winking, scraping, pointing. It's not perverted. That it rests in something that he has gained that is valid because, you know, in the world of ethics, you've probably heard of God, which is why things are ethical. Otherwise, they're just opinions. If God, you know, we've said this before, if God is not there and judging, not just, not just having a position, but judging, there is no right. And the next verse lets us know this. There are six things which the Lord hates. You know this passage. You've gone to this, you know, maybe, maybe it's on your refrigerator already. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination. I said yea because I think the King James says yea. And I grew up around that. So, Seven which are an abomination to him. I like the word abomination. You know why? I like big words. Um, I like abomination because it lets you know that you can be well. You know, there are certain words, we were covering this in, uh, in Lewis reading last Wednesday when the spirit, the heavenly spirit, who is a theologian that got saved versus a bishop who hadn't, and the bishop's up from hell, and the bishop from hell is going, what do you think I did to go to hell? And he says, you were apostate. Sometimes we just need to have words actually said that says, not only am I... Not only is this a recommended, not recommended, this is the Christian idea, but the living God is going, I hate this stuff. I mean, I hate it. I hate it in such a way, it's an abomination. So that when he stumbles upon you at the judgment, and he goes, oh, you're one of those I abominate. I don't like your kind. This is a category. You have a category of control of yourself. You have a category of what you're going to do with it. You have a category of what's going to guide what you do with it. And then God tells you, not only that you don't do that, the perversion, but there are, here's some six things that I hate. Let's make it seven for poetic devices. And he lists them. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. 
a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and a man who sows discord among brothers. He didn't mention co-signing a check, and he didn't mention not getting out of bed. And he didn't mention a lot of things. This is not six things does the Lord hate. There are people who go to this like it's the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know he said lying twice? Well, couldn't he have thrown in fornication for heaven's sake? Couldn't he have drunkenness maybe? It's not supposed to be another Ten Commandments. It's not supposed to be, oh, this is, oh, there's six or there's seven. Well, if I just have it lying once, it's really sick. Haughty eyes right up there. But you notice, what you, what, how would you define haughty eyes? And I want you to spend some time thinking about these things on your free time. Looking down on people, right? Look down on people. They talk, look down your nose. If you got one of those great Mediterranean, you know, noses, you could look down at people. It's great being up here because I get to look down at you all the time. Is it looking down at people? God looked down at you? Yes. Is he wrong? No. Looking down at people is not actually all the problem. All of these have ideas behind them. All of these have motives. All of these have ways of seeing yourself. Like the character in the previous verse, the worthless person, the wicked man, crooked in speech, winking with his eye. He's sowing discord too. You notice that the last one of the seven is a man who sows discord among brothers. It may be that the six things thing said, I'm going to stress what I just talked about, this bad guy who sows discord. I'm going to say, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven. And I'm going to put what he does right at the end. The malicious disruptor of people's lives. Someone who's entertained by creating drama. I really hope that you're not those sorts of people. You know some, right? You know some people for whom creating drama is their hobby? The Lord throws that in with a bunch of other bad things. But it's all about what you think. It's all about who you became when you took charge over your life. A lot of people like to have the claim of their individuality, their independence, I'm doing what I want, because they think them doing what they want makes whatever they want to do true and correct. They believe the postmodern lie that everybody gets to have their own truth, everybody gets to do what they want. But we're getting to this. Hold yourself responsible. You've been given control of your life. Second, get up in the morning and do something with it. Do the right thing. And if you're doing the right thing, you could be something. When you think of this second tier villain, the crooked 
perverse man. Not the big villain, not the one, more like Iago in Othello. You know, Othello just gets, you know, goes around the bed and becomes jealous and kills his wife. What was her name? Desdemona, is that it? Desdemona? Well, Iago was there in the background just making it worse. So in discord, creating the problem. We're not even have high villainy. But God wants you to know that you can't just relax in a life where you start doing just kind of really not that big a deal, really. So what if I tricked him? So what if I lied to him? So what if I pointed the finger? So what if I sowed discord? Now, God wants you to know you're on the list of things he abominates, along with other very bad things. Innocent blood, haughtiness, oh yeah, and you. You being just an American citizen making a muck of other people's lives. Proverbs are about what you think. I was thinking, I was talking to some guys last night and thinking about this over the last few days about how, what kind of Christian do you admire? You know, what, what is the, what's the status based on? When you say, I, I want to be like that. What is it like? Because I've been reading in some Christian fiction people that I admire, you know, they're drafted in a way that is truly admirable. That's why we're reading Place of the Lion in three weeks. Someone who's just walking through life looking at it the right way. I mentioned the greater trumps to people by Williams, uh, because people who've read the greater trumps always come away with this view of Sybil that's, oh my gosh, if I could be a Christian like that. And she's not anything other than got her head screwed on straight. She's not some magician. She's just a Christian who's got her head screwed on straight that didn't took responsibility for her life, watched everybody else make a muck of everything, and then when things went sideways, Sybil just walked through it like she owned the place. But that comes from how you think of your universe. It says, first, I need control of my life because I am humane to the degree I govern my life. Then I got, it's got to be actually doing something. It can't just be lying about. And it's got to be doing the right thing. And I need to understand what I'm doing. Not just be pious and obedient in what I'm doing. Not just ticking off all the things that I, that I co-sign any checks today. No, I did not. I'm convinced in my piety. I did not co-sign a note. I got out of bed before nine. Yay from heaven. What do you think? How do you think like that? How do you think like a crooked man? How do you think that you would be entertained? Have you been ever in a counseling? You all have counseled a friend. You have all counseled a friend where you were trying to explain to someone, they're trying to relate something just wicked to you about what they're thinking. And you're looking at it, they're Christians, and you're looking at them going, what are you thinking? How, how could you think 
that this was good. It is so mean. It is so false. It is so crooked. People think because they've got reasons that their reasons are good. People think because they have chosen what they want to do that they, it's good that they what they want to do because they're serving themselves. They're serving their, their God. God wants us to go after something else. The whole first nine chapters of Proverbs, wisdom or folly, which way are you going to go? If you get anything, get insight. If you get anything, get knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You might want to go this direction. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart always. Tie them about your neck. Seems to suggest that the things that Solomon is trying to teach his sons are things they should be devoted to. All that imagery is keep, forsake not, bind it to you, tie it to you. Don't be tied down to somebody else's will. But be tied to the truth of life. Be tied to what you think and the way you think it ought to be the way you think ought to be thought in comport in um, trying to find a word here. Too many words coming out of my mouth. Trying to find the uh, the way you live comports itself well with what God wants. You see the commandment of God, the mother's, your father's commandment, your mother's teaching. I tie them to myself because I don't want to walk away from that. I want to walk away from the constraint of somebody else's financial obligations landing on me. I want to run away from myself, not applying anything in life, not getting up and doing whatever it is I think ought to be done. I don't want to get up and be doing that which is perverse. So I have to embrace wisdom. I have to pick it up and look at it. Tie it to me. You have a smartphone you're looking at all the time. You Philistines. Some of you have Bibles on it. I'm sure probably all of you do. Look things up. I've already been in conversation for... I've been a little confused because I'm a person of a different age. But you're going through scripture and you're typing in a verse and looking it up. That's good. Have the scriptures with you. Standing around the word of life. Because, verse 22, when you walk, they will lead you. He's talking about the Father's commandment and your mother's teaching that you've devoted yourself to. Because here is the promise. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. So you get led. You get protected. And you're involved with it. I like that last one. It will talk to you. You and it conversing. The wisdom you're mulling over, you're meditating. You've meditated on things before where you've held both sides of the conversation. And well, what if this is true? And then well, you falsify it over here and you look at another passage up and you make yourself informed by talking it out with yourself. 
You're not merely the result of God's blessing alone. Now, God's blessing can be poured out to you alone without you having to do anything. But here is a portion of the blessing where you're included in it. It led you, it protected you, and that it involved you so that the success in your life is not you just lifting your hands up, sweet Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going to give myself over to whatever God's doing. No, the thinking wants to talk to you about it. The thinking wants to have this exchange with you. This whole last section from 20 to the end, 20 to 24, it talks about the idea that you're supposed to pick up. You are supposed to take responsibility. I'm going to repeat this. You're going to take responsibility for your life. You're going to be about getting up to do it. You're going to be concerned that you not be a bastard. And so what I'm going to have to do is devote myself to the, the teaching of the wise. I'm going to have to really anchor myself in those things that produce wisdom. What is it going to be? Reading the wise, studying the wise, reading, having wise books around me, wise friends around me. What is the, where is the wisdom? I'm going to go find that because I want to be led, I want to be protected, and I want to be in that conversation so that the success of me as a human being is, is not just sort of, I don't know what's going on here. I want to be the kind of Christian that has been shifted from perversion, shifted from non-production. But then he says, for, for the commandment, this is his response to it, devote yourself to it, verses 20 and 21. 22, it tells you all the things the commandment and the teaching will do. And then it says, why? For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. It lets you know. We have to recognize what's going on with wisdom. It is the source of light. It is the light itself. And it's the walk that you get out of it. The way of life. It's the lamp, the light, and the way. And once you start to realize, okay, all of us are going to get up in the morning, we hope if you're obedient to the first, the second part. You're up in the morning, you're about ready to get out there in the day. It's going to be driven by a view you have of life. You have an understanding of God, you have an understanding of his creation. You are going to be right or wrong. How much time have you given to finding out if you are? And how much of your calamity that came upon you is because you were perverse, crooked, winking. How much of the calamity and the poverty that has fallen upon you is because when left without any ruler, you did nothing. Are you an active human being designing what God wants you to have heard? Not a list of behavior modifications that the church would like to have you behave like. But you've become the kind of character. You know where the light comes from. You know what the light has illuminated. And you have planned a life. A way. A way of life. 
Do you want to be that kind of person that other believers look at and go, man, how does it, how does, how can we, he or she is so lucky? Well, they're not lucky. They're good. And they understand what good is. They understand what the designed life under God's wisdom is. And then it lands on you with this. You notice how I did this on the side notes? Empty space, empty space, ellipsis, because of bad women. Look, Solomon had a clue on that one. Verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adventurous. Half this crowd is dudes. Inside, if not outside, we're nodding. There are women. They're hell on wheels. And yet, we would sell our mother to be with them. Because we're idiots. Because we know we're dudes. We know that, oh, there's all sorts of temptation to stay in bed for too long and not get everything done or perhaps mess with other people. The adventurous is sort of like the nuclear weapon. We have got to be protected against this like nobody's business. Women are fine. I am. Some of them are really easy on the eyes. Some of them are up to no good. None of you, of course. But we know as dudes that this is, no matter how we posture ourselves, no matter how godly the guy gets, he always gets discovered, it seems, running off with the old pair. Why? Because he wasn't living his life with the lamp, with things lit, his way of life guided by what God, that's what protects, to preserve you from this woman, this is what the light's for. Because women, no offense ladies, are a really big problem. And it's not, it's not you, it's us. I like the scriptures. It doesn't get all pious and stuffy about how rotten we are. It just tells us, you're rotten. He wants to say, yeah, you're, you're really a bad person. We're really susceptible. Because of the temptation to immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. We've got these things. We can't deny that crippling levels of wickedness are out there in the world, inside the Christian church, outside the Christian church, because nobody is stopping to follow Solomon and go, oh, maybe we better take responsibility with the kind of life and thinking we've designed so that we do not become an abomination to God, so we do not become the kind of thing God hates, so we don't have the negative effect of living a life that is foolish beyond degree, that we understand what light is and what we do when our path is illuminated, how we walk. That's all I had to say. I know I could talk for another 15 minutes, make you all happier. Nah, that's not. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Be merciful to us.
help us understand each of us not a, to live a life designed by this church or any church but live a life that is faithful to holding on to our own command of ourselves in such a way that we can present ourselves approved we can present ourselves and not be abominated that we can present ourselves and live a life successful by the way of life your wisdom has given us protect us from our own folly and protect us from the evil woman in your son's name amen